Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Pat Pastore, Regional President of PNC, a proud City Club member, and I'm pleased to introduce today's forum, an annual event organized in collaboration with Downtown Cleveland Alliance, the State of Downtown Address. For the past few decades, the City Club has re resided on Euclid Avenue, one of Cleveland's most historic streets, and often considered the heart of downtown. Over the past several years, significant development along Euclid Avenue from Public Square to Playhouse has transformed the former Millionaire's Row to a transit-oriented retail and entertainment destination, which will be home to more than 6,500 residents by the end of next year. Given the size and scope of downtown's current projects, including new apartment construction and building rehabilitation, and its recent successes, including increased convention businesses, uh, hotel stays, and tourism numbers, it appears the city is on an upward trajectory, and PNC is proud to be playing a role in it by providing funding to a variety of development projects in downtown. But how do we maintain the forward momentum? How do we ensure this investment reaches all corners of downtown and into the surrounding neighborhoods? And what should leaders be thinking about next in their vision for downtown Cleveland? We've assembled a distinguished group of local and national experts to share their thoughts. Here to steward the conversation is Senior IdeaStream host and producer Rick Jackson. Mr. Jackson is an award-winning journalist with more than 35 years of experience as a television and radio anchor and reporter. He's been on the air in all 50 states and in 40 foreign countries and is currently the host of Ideas and News Depth for WVIZ PBS. I now turn the program over to you, Mr. Jackson, to introduce our panel. Thank you, Pat. And welcome again, everyone, as we look forward to this conversation that indeed might start in the street we all walked in here on, but really expands to include all of downtown Cleveland. So with me to speak on this today, we have Elizabeth Wyrick. She's the CEO at Milwaukee Downtown Business Improvement District, which not only devises strategies for the downtown area, but does research and reports, I understand, also funds some of the programs for residents and visitors alike. Michael Langley is the past president and CEO of the Greater Minneapolis-St. Paul Regional Economic Development Partnership. It's an eight-year-old organization founded from a desire to craft a regional approach to economic development. It has a mission of accelerating competitiveness while being inclusive in leading investment strategies. And the familiar face to most here is Joe Marinucci, President CEO at the Downtown Cleveland Alliance, seeking to maintain the forward momentum we have here that Pat mentioned by making Downtown Cleveland the most compel compelling place to live, to work, and to play. And Joe, in this game, I'm going to let the home team bat first, if you don't mind. Thanks, we heard Pat's roll call of what's right in Cleveland. Was there a catalyst that made this the right time, chicken and egg scenarios, to what happened to turn the corner for us? Well, I think if you, if you step back, um, the underlying uh, momentum still remains job creation. Uh, downtown Cleveland remains the largest job hub in the state of Ohio. We have 105,000 uh, jobs currently in downtown. In 2018, we were able to... Uh, bring in 750 new jobs to downtown and we were able to uh, retain about 3,200 new jobs. 
Uh, we saw companies uh, like Progressive open an office uh, for the first time in downtown Cleveland. We saw uh, N N uh, NPR uh, and um, uh, the Lineal Group move their uh, corporate headquarters here into downtown. So that still remains, although we talk a lot about housing and the momentum created by uh, uh, the transformational things from a neighborhood perspective, the job base remains very, very important and one that we concentrate on. Now, when you talk about stepping outside and, and thinking about Euclid Avenue, uh, in some ways, if you think about the transformation historically of Euclid, if you think about Millionaire's Row, which uh, uh, Pat mentioned, if you think about uh, the, the heyday of, of that era, if you think about what happened uh, in the, the turn of the century when Euclid became the commercial hub of the city, uh, the theaters, the, uh, the commercial investments that occurred, um, all the department stores that, that lined the street. And then we obviously saw about 30 years of disinvestment on Euclid Avenue. And we saw a lot of that commercial base move further uh, uh, west towards public square in the city. And we saw a lot of empty buildings. Uh, we saw uh, the theaters at risk. Fast forward to now. Uh, at this point, we now, uh, at the end of 2020, we'll have 20 residential projects uh, completed uh, from the uh, edge at 18th Street to the park building on, on, on the square. Uh, as Pat mentioned, we'll have a significant residential population. We have five hotels uh, with about uh, 917 rooms on Euclid Avenue. So think of the vibrancy that we created. And when you step back, we're now seeing cranes on Euclid Avenue. We're seeing new construction, which again is a different step for us. When you think back to the historic tax, tax credit strategy that we used, both at the federal level and the state level, the Euclid Quarter uh, Historic District that was created, uh, the fantastic investment by our BRT through uh, RTA and, and the, uh, uh, the, the fact we were able to totally transform the streetscape in downtown. And in many ways, uh, Euclid Avenue uh, is the, the blueprint for all of downtown going forward. If you step back, there are only two available small parcels uh, for new construction from East 18th Street all the way to Public Square. Uh, so the infill has occurred the way we had hoped, and again, that's the transformational step and what we envision for the rest of downtown, which is to infill, to create critical mass, to create the vibrant neighborhood that you're seeing uh, uh, Euclid Avenue become in all parts of downtown. Michael, Minneapolis, larger metro, roughly exactly the same size core city here. Do you see a pattern in what he says? Is that what Minneapolis did? We saw the business come in, we saw the revitalization, we saw the residents. Uh, first of all, Rick, and uh, I want to thank uh, I want to thank Joe for inviting me. Uh, we've sure. worked together for a number of years. Uh, Joe was a past uh, CEO or a past chair of the International Economic Development Council, and I followed followed him a few years later. Um, and so, and actually, Cleveland is kind of like the meat in the sandwich for my career. I was in Pittsburgh for ten years uh, as the head of the Allegheny Conference, which is the regional partnership there. Um, and, of course, look very closely uh, with Cleveland in a lot of issues that were uh, Great Lakes States issues for us both. And then I uh, was recruited to go and start over a similar organization in Minneapolis-St. Paul, um, never had a regional partnership. And so we, about 10 years ago, we started that. And, and so still keeping Cleveland in our sights as a, a peer city, as a benchmark city that we would look at. So. I've had, you know, last 20 years of uh, considering what's going on in Cleveland versus what's going on in either Pittsburgh or uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul. I think, you know, I would say that the cities are very similar in many, many ways uh, in terms of uh, both looking for renewed vibrancy in the core cities, um, using uh, talent retention and traction as one of the big discriminators to make the city great again. 
um, using infrastructure investment in transit and education to ensure that the core elements of the cities are strong enough to compete not only nationally but globally. And so we've, we've followed sim similar redevelopment strategies. Uh, we've, we've seen, uh, especially in our Minneapolis-St. Paul twin cities, which collectively, I guess, Minneapolis is about uh, 480,000 and uh, St. Paul is about 320,000. So it's close to a million with the two cities. They're not separated like, uh, uh, you know, like you'd see a Dallas-Fort Worth 30 miles apart. Minneapolis and St. Paul are actually connected. Uh, the Mississippi River runs through the middle, uh, but, but they are in fact one, basically one municipal uh, level of activity, although they have two separate governments, which is fun in itself. Familiar. Uh, <coughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I, I think what I, I had an opportunity recently to speak with the uh, leadership Cleveland class. They actually came as a group to to the Twin Cities last week, and I had an opportunity to spend some time with them and help them kind of put together their program. And um, it would, gave me a really a new look at Cleveland. And uh, I can tell you that I'm very impressed with what I'm seeing here today uh, in terms of the, the cranes and the activity in the downtown area that uh, I know when I was in Pittsburgh 10 or 12 years ago, that was not happening here. So I'm, I'm really uh, glad to see that, and it does parallel what we're seeing in, in the Twin Cities uh, in terms of the types of development, the fact that it's all about talent. It's all about retaining and attracting talent. That's where talent wants to be. They want to be in a walkable, bikeable, transit-oriented core city where they can be close to companies that are employing them, and they can have the quality of life that they're looking for in an urban environment. And so that's the trend we're seeing, and I'm glad to say I see it here in Cleveland. All things we're gonna to touch on when you talk about walkability and bikeability, things we're discovering and learning about ourselves now. Is that the pattern, now that we've heard it from two gentlemen, is that the pattern that you're seeing in Milwaukee, something that's working now for all the cities? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Milwaukee, like Cleveland, is a legacy city, right? We've all seen manufacturing, we've seen what it's done to our rivers, to our waterways. We've seen what it's done when it left our community. Uh, I think Cleveland and Milwaukee share such similar stories when we look at our population. Milwaukee, the city proper, is 600,000 people. Metro-wide, it's about 1.5 million people. So in many ways, I think it's a really good analogy from both of us. for both of us. Your Euclid Avenue, which I love, um, and I love all the cranes. Our mayor, Tom Barrett, says his favorite bird is the crane. So um, I'm sure you can relate to that here. But uh, Euclid Avenue is very similar to Milwaukee's Wisconsin Avenue. So our Wisconsin Avenue is our major arterial. And like Euclid Avenue, has a lot of our preeminent uh, office class A buildings on it. Our tallest buildings are US Bank Center, Northwestern Mutual, who is headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, just built. A uh, half a billion dollar tower at the foot of Wisconsin Avenue, uh, 1.1 million square feet, uh, lots of other Class A office buildings. But what we're looking at now, very similar to Euclid Avenue, is some of our underutilized, blighted Class B and C buildings that are now very innovatively 
being a retrofitted adaptive reuse for mixed mix uses. And I love the fact that when I'm walking up and down the street, there are just people who are looking and outside and they're talking. And yesterday, outside of Union Trust, I had the opportunity to talk to the GC on the job, who was extraordinarily excited just looking at that building of Union Trust and what a gem it is. And thankfully, you had enough historic preservationists in this community. I know there were some stories that didn't go as well. Uh, that preserved your buildings, and you now have the opportunity on Euclid Avenue to really focus on the adaptive reuse, uh, to have mixed use. And I loved to hear the fact that it's luxury, high-end apartments, uh, market-rate apartments, and then some low-income low or affordable as well. And I think that that's what is really indicative of communities that build uh, a successful environment and are inclusive. So I see a lot of similarities in Euclid Avenue and Wisconsin Avenue in Milwaukee. I was going to ask that exact thing. How did you manage in Milwaukee to keep different tiers of housing? Because that's something people struggle with here. Well, I think part of it is, and I love what the City Club represents, because a lot of it is conversation and keeping those topics top of mind. And in every decision that we're making as it relates to investment, making sure that we're checking the boxes about inclusivity, about sustainability, about the war for talent, about creating a quality of life environment. I think the thing that our organizations do, um, we get to pay attention to those little details on the streets that really enhance the quality of life environment. But we also get to be the ones who are raising the conscious level about inclusivity and about making sure that everybody feels that our downtown is their downtown. Mm -hmm. You may, may recall that that was one of the issues last year. We did a major housing study on, on downtown and, and looked at that and, and of course uh, creating more diverse options uh, for housing in downtown was one of the critical elements for us going forward. Right, so everybody would love to live at the nine but not everybody can live at the nine. Um, that, that's something that we talk about also, you mentioned the idea of rehabbing older buildings. We see that going on. I travel to some of the up-and-coming cities, Nashville, Charlotte, Columbus, a lot of glass. And are we discriminating and making sure that we keep the style, the structure, the class of Cleveland? Well, one of the things we've done uh, collaboratively with the community and our neighborhood-based organizations, for example, uh, the Gateway District, the Warehouse District, is to recognize the historic and architectural fabric that we have. And as you know, we've, went, we've gone through periods where we've lost sight of that. Um, Beth was referring to uh, one of the major uh, theaters we lost, the Hippodrome, for those of you that remember, which would have been uh, right next door years ago, uh, or some of the loss of fabric in the warehouse district when the Justice Center was built. But the fact we created a moratorium on demolitions uh, for surface parking was an important step. But our ability to use uh, federal historic districts and use the credits associated with them really became a critical factor for us. And uh, combining that with the state district, uh, state uh, uh, credits a number of years ago, uh, about 11 years ago when the state created it, its mechanism, allowed us to capture um, the ability to, uh, to rehab some of these uh, buildings. And you're seeing it now in Lower Euclid. We, we always say that in, in our world, uh, the walk from Playhouse Square to 9th Street historically, our, our team at DCA heard more negative comments about than any other part of downtown. As you can see, by the end of next year, uh, it's going to be transformational. And those buildings are, are a great, great asset to us. Michael, let's, <clears throat> let's talk business. Um, downtown Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, you're home to 19 Fortune 500 companies, remarkable number. What makes Minneapolis have this ability to draw, and how do we tap into that? Yeah, so uh, that's probably one of our most uh, uh, biggest competitive discriminators as a, 
as a region is this, this, uh, the fact that we are headquarters economy. Uh, there's a brand new book out uh, called Headquarters Economy, uh, Managers Mobility um, and uh, uh, Migration, which is written by uh, Professor Miles Shaver. So I would highly recommend for folks that are working in, in developing cities that, that you take a look at this idea of what a headquarters economy looks like and why it's so important that uh, diversity uh, in, in, with respect to business uh, and diversity with respect to the workforce are drivers for, uh, for the future of most regional economies uh, as we go forward. Um, 19 Fortune 500 headquarters is probably uh, the thing that we, we hold on to as, as the gold standard jewel of what we don't want to lose, what we need to maintain. And so it goes back to talent again. The reason that we have those companies there is because we've invested in education at all levels and because of the availability and the, um, and the uh, quality of the talent quotient in our region, those companies have stayed there and grown there. But without, those, you know, without those, that educational investment, those companies would probably be looking elsewhere. But without uh, those companies, there wouldn't be a place for those people to work. So uh, it's kind of a, a virtuous uh, cycle that, that we're doing everything we can to maintain. Well, what, what does that look like? It is to, to continue to make it uh, the downtown area, where, which is where most of those global headquarters are located or in the near suburbs, uh, we need to make sure that uh, we have the, uh, be, we're able to get those employees to work. Uh, and that's where we make those transit investments. Mm -hmm. Now, the BRT here, the health line, um, that's, that's a, certainly a great example of using transit as a development tool and a, and a, a tool for increased competitiveness. You have both buses and light rail. We're fortunate that we did make the investment over the last 20 years in light rail transit, both east-west, north-south. That's what connected Minneapolis and St. Paul's downtowns in a very, very meaningful way. And so I would say our Euclid Avenue is actually um, University Avenue, which is where the light rail line goes, uh, nine miles from the downtown Minneapolis to downtown St. Paul. And the University of Minnesota is right in the middle. And so that connectivity created by transit and created by educational investment is what's made our region strong. We talk about downtown and often, Joe, we kind of exclude Cleveland State as if it's not downtown and it's right on that edge. How key is it that Cleveland State could become like a UM and really play in to downtown? Well, we, we consider Cleveland State a, a tremendous asset and a tremendous partner. Um, obviously, uh, uh, they've taken some transformational steps in the last 15 years in terms of essentially uh, go, uh, evolving from uh, mainly a commuter school to a, 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 a vibrant uh, uh, residential population on the campus. We know that those students uh, in many ways represent great opportunities for us. Uh, and if, if uh, those students have a good experience in downtown, and, and as you know, their engaged learning strategy is, is centered in, in the core in, in downtown, we know that we can keep those uh, those students in downtown once they graduate and, and go into the professional world. And by the way, the vast majority of Cleveland State graduates stay in Cleveland and work mm -hmm. in Cleveland. So for us, what uh, Cleveland State is doing in terms of both on the academic side as well as creating place uh, and bringing more uh, students to the campus uh, from a residency perspective is very, very important to us. Both of them have touched on transportation. Beth, does Milwaukee have a transportation story? Is that keeping people in the core city? 
Or do we have a transportation story? So unlike Cleveland, we do not have an RTA. We don't have a regional transportation authority. So our bus, our Milwaukee County Transit services are paid through our Milwaukee County tax levy. Uh, our brand new streetcar that uh, was just unveiled this past year that is exceeding ridership a little less than two miles. And last week, our mayor just made an announcement that uh, we are going to be expanding our streetcar to, which is uh, Vel Velar Phillips and Wisconsin Avenue and creating a plaza there. Um, but our intention is to have equality with our growth, connecting downtown to our neighborhoods. Our streetcar is being funded through federal funds and local funds. Our next growth will move uh, to the Wisconsin Avenue area to ready ourselves. We're hosting the DNC in 2020 next year. But beyond that, our intention is to bring our streetcar uh, down Dr. Martin Luther King Drive to North Avenue, which is one of our north side neighborhoods. Again, that connectivity to us for prosperity, for growth, for jobs, um, for the connections to social venues, uh, into our African-American community. Bronzeville is being revitalized is really key to us. And we're also planning on expanding our streetcar south into another neighborhood called Walker's Point. In addition to that, I think like every great city, we're all learning that we still, many of our cities are still, we still utilize our cars, but it's really about an integrated transportation system. Uh, we looked to Cleveland when we were studying our BRT, which is a nine mile system that will be implemented in 2020 and 2021, connecting our uh, regional medical complex to downtown Milwaukee, which is our second highest employment base uh, in our community. And then of course, from a transportation perspective, we also look at rideshare programs like Uber and Lyft and Bubbler Bikes. And I think all of us, those of us who work in downtown, and, and we look at the war for talent and what's important to them as it relates to connectivity, a lot of it comes down to not only the services, but the technology in which we're communicating to our consumers about those transportation services. So if you look on my phone, I've got um, Milwaukee County Transit Systems mm -hmm. app, our streetcar app, Park MKE app, you know, our Uber app. So I think a lot of it, it's the transportation, but then it's about how we're communicating with our consumer to make it a user-friendly experience. Joe, are there aha moments when you hear these other cities doing something that we don't necessarily do or haven't considered? Well, I think, um, uh, as you know, we've been doing these forums for now for 10 years, Rick, and, and, and I think the, the neat thing is, is we, we constantly learn from each other. So, so the answer is yes. Uh, you know, uh, uh, when we reached out to Beth, one of the reasons we reached out to Beth was uh, the amount of investment that we've seen on the riverfront in Milwaukee. I mean, to me, that, that was one of the uh, hot moments when we, we did our research uh, and, and looked at it. And uh, Minneapolis, in many ways, uh, uh, very similar to Cleveland maybe 30 years ago in terms of the concentration of, of, of Fortune 500 companies, if you think of our history. Well, we've transformed and are evolving but that creates opportunities uh, at the same time that evolution is occurring. So for us, just like Michael said, uh, we share some of the same things. You know, infill strategies, critical mass, accessibility, mobility are things we all share. So it's nice to hear that we're uh, affirming some of the things that we talk about on a day-to-day -day basis in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the Milwaukee River. Uh, between there and Lake Michigan, you have East Town, a neighborhood that has a lot of your attractions, the lakefront, of course. It's kind of a unique feeling there. I wonder, is there so much attention paid that any other part of downtown gets forgotten? Because that's a discussion we've had here about making sure that everybody gets an equal slice, or at least a close to equal slice yeah. of the pie. 
Yeah, well, I think our downtown is made up of several neighborhoods. East Town, West Town, there were the Bridge Wards, and that's when it was Kilburn Town and Juneau Town. There's the historic Third Ward. Uh, there was a time when people felt that East Town or East of the River was the Tony side of town, if you will. Uh, but now, however, when you really look at the numbers and the true investment that is occurring west of the river, that is where there's this dynamic energy. So our urban mall, which was called the Grand Avenue Mall, which has, like any urban mall in the country, seen its cycle, right? It, it, so many times it's cycled around. It, essentially now we're starting over again with three separate buildings, uh, again, west of the river. It's uh, where the new streetcar stop will be across the street from. Our convention center is there. Our Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra bought an old underutilized uh, theater building there, and that will be their new, new headquarters. That's under construction right now. Uh, the mall is reinventing itself. It's no longer a mall. We've had a funeral for it. Um, it is now going to be a mixed-use development with housing, with a food hall, no longer called food courts, they're food hall now, they're food halls now, um, and there is a difference, it's curated food um, and uh, office space. It is now home to a new corporate headquarters uh, in downtown Milwaukee. Uh, we're also, uh, of course, uh, being so close to the Deer District, which uh, is home to the new Pfizer Forum Arena, which is home to the Milwaukee Bucks, who beat the Raptors last night <laughs> in the first game of the Eastern. Up, I can't help myself. It was yes, only the last two minutes, yes, you know? go Bucks. <laughs> But so west of the river is now where a lot of attention is being paid. And I think in our downtowns, if you don't lose that energy and you've got that passion and you hold on to those historic buildings and you really believe in them and it's having the drivers, we're now seeing the development west of the river. And I'm not taking away from east of the river because it's mm -hmm. beautiful and lovely, but we've seen a little bit of a flip-flop from the investment side. If you didn't see the game, the Bucks scored the last 10 to come uh, from behind. So <clears throat> In the last three minutes. Yeah. Joe, last year at this forum, she's not proud though. You know, last year at this forum, Joe, I asked you about the improvement of walkability in Cleveland. We touched on it earlier. I wonder, Beth and Michael, do your cities consider the viability of a downtown essential that people be able to walk from point A to point B? Millennials don't want to buy cars. They want to live where they can do everything, including go to the food, not court. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll take that one. Um, it, that's been transformational for us. But I also want to remind Beth that our Timberwolves are not in the NBA playoffs. <laughs> our Minnesota Wild hockey team is not in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but our Minnesota Twins are having a pretty good year. And Let's not go we're, there. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, I think we're going to give you a run this year. I think, I think so. But, yeah, so, you know, when you look at um, walkability, bikeability, and transit orientation, um, we're very proud of the direction we've headed. Uh, I think our, our walk score is like 98. Our bike score is 89, uh, which is one of the highest in the country. And then our, our transit utilization is, uh, I'd say, we have essentially 50,000 people living in downtown Minneapolis today. Back when we started Greater Miss P, it was 20,000. So we've added 30,000 downtown residents in the last nine, 10 years. And our goal is by 2025, we'll be about 75 to 80,000 living downtown. So it's been a transformation. We have something, I, I coined it the Langley Crane Index. When I, when I first moved there 10 years ago, there were three cranes. And then at the height of uh, the redevelopment, we, um, in 2014, 2015, the Langley Crane Index was 64 cranes. And this wow. was 
because U.S. Bank Stadium, the, the Vikings' new stadium that was being built in downtown, uh, had about 18 cranes alone just around, <laughs> around it. But, uh, but the walkability thing is, is why we have had uh, this increase in residential development, both in the core as well as on what we call the North Loop and the waterfront area the, by the river, uh, which is the warehouse district. And architecturally, we probably tore down more than we should have back in mid-century, but I think the vernacular of the new construction and new architectural construction is in the, is in the vernacular of uh, the warehouse and, and waterfront district, and it's, it's, it's really unified uh, our ability to, to get a concentration of residents in downtown. Um, and so you're right. Uh, they don't want to. They don't want cars. So, with, with the combination of our transit systems and our our bikeability and our walkability, it's really made a huge difference, and probably mm -hmm. uh, will be the one of the reasons why we continue to be a, a successful economy. Joe, he just threw out some pretty gaudy numbers. Mm -hmm. I can remember <laughs> Mayor Campbell saying, "One day we'll get to 20,000." We're creeping up toward it, but how do we envision a time we can have 50,000 people? Well, we. Um, uh, we, we're actually more than creeping up to it, Rick. We, as I said, we have 1,500 under construction. We will get to 20,000 by the end of next, uh, next year. And fast. that does not include, uh, for example, projects like the Union Commerce Building. Uh, for those of you that remember, that's the 925 building uh, across the street. And some other uh, major developments, for example, doesn't include any development of the, of the lakefront. So we have opportunities. And one thing that, that the study I mentioned earlier, Rick, did affirm is that there's plenty of additional demand. When we look at our metropolitan area, most met metropolitan areas of our size have about 2% of their population in their downtown. Mm -hmm. uh, we have about 0.5, and we're growing that. So as you can see, even on a regional basis, we can absorb a lot more uh, solely on that basis. So from our perspective, what we'd like to do is accelerate the pace to get to 30, and then, as Michael, Michael has indicated in uh, uh, Minneapolis experience, uh, continue to push forward so that we can continue to add additional population. Good. I was going to say, I, I think it's so critical to have a downtown housing base. Uh, and, and I know in Milwaukee's case, we were fortunate enough. Uh, like Cleveland, our plan was to encircle our central business district with an interstate. Mm -hmm. And in the 60s, we had protesters who wouldn't allow us to complete a phase of our interstate. It, it's called the Park East Interchange. Uh, we tore it down in 2002 and freed up 24 acres of developable land. So that was a gift that was just dropped in our lap, really, even though a lot of talk radio people said it would never happen. It's all nearly fully developed now. And it created an entire neighborhood and a very, very walkable neighborhood with a walk score of 98. But I think the interesting thing, when you tie the investment to residential with the success of business, building your tax base, uh, adding jobs, the, you know, the, the workforce, um, the, the war on talent. Residential development in a downtown is critical. 31% of our residents in downtown Milwaukee, and we're, we're fast approaching, we're not the numbers that Minneapolis are, but we're at 32,000 right now, and we expect to add another 6,000 with projects that are under construction right now, but they work within a mile of downtown Milwaukee. So again, when you look at what is that young workforce, that emerging workforce looking for? They're looking for an opportunity to live and work and play in the same neighborhood and to be connected to that community. So I think the, the, the direction that Cleveland is headed in with this investment is really critical to your economic vitality. Thank you. Take a breath.
I'm Rick Jackson, senior host and producer at IdeaStream. Today we're enjoying our annual State of Downtown Forum, featuring Michael Langley, the former president and CEO of the Greater MSP Minneapolis-St. Paul Regional Economic Development Partnership, Joe Marinucci, president and CEO of the Downtown Cleveland Alliance, Elizabeth Wyrick, the CEO of the Milwaukee Downtown Business Improvement District. We are about to begin the fun part, the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, the students who were here, those of you who are joining us via the live stream. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet at the City Club, and our staff will work it into the program. Holding our microphones today, Director of Programming Stephanie Jansky and City Club intern Oremila Uria Osana. May we have our first question, please. Good afternoon. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Full disclosure, I'm on the board at Cleveland Gray's Armory Museum. In downtown proper, we have seven museums, and if you throw in uh, Midtown, I think we add another three. A couple of them have big endowments, but most of us are smaller uh, operations. What thoughts does the panel have on how things like our small museums can enhance downtown and, and also benefit from the growth of downtown? Go, go to Beth go. first. Yeah, you have Thank a lot you. of attractions right downtown. Yes, uh, significant attractions as well in downtown Milwaukee and major uh, museums uh, that are right now undergoing uh, some kind of a redevelopment effort. So our Milwaukee Public Museum is, our Discovery World Museum recently had an addition, uh, and uh, of course from a, an infrastructure perspective, it's, it's challenging to continue to maintain the museums, but uh, our residents feel that it's critically important. Our chamber recently facilitated a conversation around infrastructure growth and operations for our museums, and we are actively now developing a tactical plan to figure out a financial way forward to help support our museums. Our arts and culture are critical, critical to the character of our communities. Absolutely critical. Of course, we're home to the Milwaukee Art Museum. We understand that without these arts and cultural institutions, we are not the community that people want to live in. It, it connects them, uh, arts and culture, on so many different levels. Uh, it's an educational aspect, it's a career aspect, and it really defines what a community is. So um, I, I, I feel like that's a very abbreviated answer, but in Milwaukee, we value them immensely. We are looking at solutions to help continue to support them financially, and we recognize without the investment in arts and culture, Milwaukee would not be the great city that it is. Michael? I, I can only uh, second everything she said. Uh, I would add a couple of, of challenge notes that I think we all share in large metropolitan regions, and that is um, the intergenerational nature of, of attendance and support for uh, broadly for arts and culture uh, is challenging with, with young audiences. And so I think all of our cultural institutions, I've been serv served on the board of the, uh, uh, the, the Minneapolis uh, Symphony Orchestra or Minnesota Symphony for a number of years, and and getting our, our audience to appreciate uh, you know, classical music and, and symphonic music is, is a challenge. I think uh, similar uh, issues are, uh, abound in terms of other uh, either performance arts or, or visual arts. And uh, I think though, you know, when you're if you're blessed to have a, a, a strong philanthropic community that will continue to invest, and you have a corporate community that will step up and also invest uh, to, to maintain and to actually even accelerate, hopefully, arts and culture, it is one of the core assets, regional assets, that all great regions not only maintain but grow and, and have prosper. So 
absolutely critical to fundamental global, uh, global success. Thanks. Juan Welcome to our guests. Um, I'd like to know from uh, the Twin Cities and Milwaukee, where do you strike the balance between rental properties and ownership, so condos, co-ops, what have you, uh, in order to have that vib vibrant and viable downtown? that we as a downtown organization get to make that determination. It's really driven by the market. And we took off very early um, with the uh, development of condominiums in downtown Milwaukee, and they were lovely, and they sold quickly. And our residential developers uh, saw a saturation in the marketplace, and some of the developments that were underway that were actually going to be luxury condominium developments ended up uh, turning into rental developments with the potential that maybe down the road they would be converted into condos. But right now, our sweet spot for our residential developers in downtown Milwaukee is really apartments. And we're seeing uh, that as really the, the preference with a lot of the talent that is coming to live in the community. And we're also seeing it as the preference with our empty nesters who are now uh, leaving their large family homes uh, and choosing to move into the downtown community. And I think they like the idea of the apartment as an option because they really get to test the market. So for now, we're more leaning toward the, the rental side. Just, I would echo that, but uh, add just a couple of uh, fine points. I'd say 20 years ago, condominium development uh, in our downtown and in our region uh, was really strong. Um, over the last 10 years, uh, certainly shifted a lot more from condominium to rental, luxury rental and, uh, and rental, uh, mostly market rate, some subsidized uh, and mixed, mixed use uh, in, in those uh, rental developments. Uh, why? Uh, there's, in terms of litigious nature of uh, of condominium development and ownership, there have been a lot of lawsuits on, uh, on con in condominium projects that have, have really, you know, soured the development community from going, you know, to making it number out, if you will, doing the condo route, whereas you can, they can make money quicker and better uh, with the rental development. So, like we always do in the real estate cycles, we overdevelop, right? So, sooner or later, we're going to see that some of this demand is going to recede, and we're going to find ourselves with, with uh, uh, with, with uh, the demand curve not uh, living up to where our, our production has been. However, if the economy continues to be strong, uh, we're, we're, we're short a lot of housing right now. And I think that's, that's endemic around the country uh, where affordable housing and, and housing in general uh, is in, in high demand in, in urban areas. The thing I like about Cleveland is uh, we had Oxford Economics do a study for us recently and we looked at all the, the Midwestern regions and it was affordability on one axis and regulatory ease of development on another axis, right? So worst case, if I took a national example, Boston would be high regulatory, not affordable. Not a great scenario, right? Guess who's at the other end of the spectrum? Cleveland, Ohio. Not, not no regulation, but a lower regulatory hurdle environment to get over for development in downtown and very affordable on a national level. So it's a very much a sweet spot for Cleveland right now is, is the ability to develop residential in the urban core. So I think you guys should keep going. And, and Rick, uh, the, the housing study that we talked about earlier clearly indicates that we've got an opportunity to develop a for sale market. Unlike mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, Milwaukee or Minneapolis that went through a cycle with heavy condominium development, we did not see that. Um, we've had essentially the same uh, condo base in downtown for about the last 11 years, uh, to give you some sense. So all of our growth has been in, in, in the market rate housing sector. And, and again, we recognize that long term, although yes, we're seeing empty nesters who are now making decisions that go into apartments, we recognize that as millennials and young professionals uh, get to a point where they want ownership, but want to maintain the uh, experience that we have in Cleveland, downtown Cleveland in particular, we're gonna have to provide them for sale options. We're now seeing some restarts of projects that were announced a decade ago yes. that went dormant. Mm -hmm. So that's gotta be a positive sign for the housing market. It is. Next question. Uh, first of all, welcome to Cleveland. Thank you for uh, all your great comments today. Just a quick question, what specifically has Milwaukee and Minneapolis done to attract uh, new jobs and job growth and company growth in the urban core? Specifics. Okay. I'm happy to uh, say that we have a very strong alliance. It's the M7 Alliance that is that is really out there selling our region uh, to the country and beyond. And they're bringing in clean technology into what was once our, our, our uh, manufacturing. We call it the Menominee Valley. Um, so we are not believers in stealing jobs from the region. Our M7 is very focused on job growth and creation, but really doing a lot to focus on going to other countries. They're regularly visiting China to bring companies with clean manufacturing and technology to our Menominee River Valley. So, um, and if you go to the M7, Milwaukee 7 website, you can see their tactical plan, their approaches, and some of their success stories, and they're doing a phenomenal job of that. In terms of job growth in downtown Milwaukee, I can say that the investment that we've been making in our residential, in our quality of life, in arts and culture, uh, with public art, uh, and just in addition, just continuing to stay focused on the clean and safe aspect. We have companies who without, a, without hesitation and on their own, with not even with heavy recruitment from us, are moving from some of our suburban neighborhoods that don't have the connectivity with public transportation that they, their workforce is looking for. They are choosing to relocate in downtown Milwaukee. We've had a couple of them. Uh, Bader Rudder um, Agency has recently moved their corporate headquarters from suburbs of Milwaukee into downtown. John Hammes Construction Group, Grafe. So we're getting thousands of jobs from the greater Milwaukee area without us going out and recruiting them that are making the decision that they want to be located in the central business district so they're close to the arts and culture, so they're close to uh, urban lifestyle and living, our river walk and our beautiful Lake Michigan. So you're doing a great job of keeping what you have as opposed to bringing in new business. Our organization is very focused on business retention and really focused on uh, quality of life, everything from public nuisance behaviors to dealing with our homelessness to implementation of public arts. And so I think as a downtown organization, we're fortunate in Milwaukee. We've got Visit Milwaukee, our CVB, that sells our city. Uh, you know, they did the bulk of the work on the DNC and many other conventions that come in. Our M7 is really our regional leader. Uh, and I think collaboration is key. It allows us to really look at the details of making our downtown extremely attractive. So I think it's a really strong collaboration and partnership where we can work together with our governmental entities to move our community forward. So I, I guess I'm the M7 equivalent in Minneapolis-St. Yeah. Paul. So we are the regional economic development partnership that is actually not only retain but, uh, but uh, expand and attract 
uh, as well as uh, focus on entrepreneurial growth as well. So we've got the responsibility of, of doing what you just said about what are we doing to attract more business into our region and in, specifically in downtown. Well, we're, we're somewhat ecumenical in terms of where the development happens in the region, although we, we certainly understand depending on the type of project, the type of industry, uh, there are going to be some specific job centers that we're gonna, are going to be more attractive, more in the urban core for some, and then potentially, you know, for logistics and distribution and, and data centers and things like that, they're probably not going to be in, in the core. They're going to be somewhere else in the, in, the, in the region itself. But the headquarters type operations, professional services type operations, uh, and both national, global, or, or regional headquarters, certainly the, uh, the cities are where uh, they look first. But the whole, the whole quotient for us, how do we do it? Well, we do it, we do it by industry, sector, and cluster, right? We're very blessed that, you know, I guess uh, six of the top 30 food and ag businesses in the world are headquartered in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So General Mills, Cargill, Land O'Lakes, Hormel, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we own that industry vertical, and so we better do well in that because that's a core area for our, our economy. Medical technology, Medtronic's there, Boston Scientific, Smith's Medical, you know, 910 med tech companies in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So we better be good at that, not only nationally, but globally. So with those clusters like that, and financial services, another one, uh, with the third most concentrated employment for financial services behind New York and Charlotte. So great assets to work with, right? But guess what? It goes back to what I said earlier. It's all about talent. Right now, we have 130,000 jobs that we don't have people to fill. Right? So our economy is growing, but our, the growth of our economy and the more companies that w would want to expand and locate there is limited by our talent. So if we don't attract more and have a higher net in migration to our region, we can't meet the demand that's there. Happily, we've gone from a 10-year average of about 3,000 net in migrants to our region per year to this year over 10,000 net in migrants per year. But Houston has 18,000 net in migrants a year. You know, Portland and Seattle have 15 to 18,000 net in migrants a year. Chicago, on the other hand, loses 6,000 in the 20 to 40 age group every year. So that's one of your key indicators for Cleveland. What is your net in migration? How many are you retaining? How many are you attracting in terms of people? And then that will dictate how much growth you're having in your business community. In the corner. Kirkland here. Um, we thank you for joining us today, um, this afternoon. Um, I heard you all speak to a lot on the culture and also partnerships. Um, my question here today, and it's two in one, um, how do you plan to involve some of our local businesses, which I believe is key um, to establishing that culture and then also establishing and maintaining um, some of our community members um, that surround us? And then also the second question, how do you plan to um, maintain and sustain the upkeeping of some of this new development? In terms of your, your first question, I, I think um, you know, one of the things that, that we're, we're extremely sensitive to, uh, obviously, and we hear a lot about how we help small businesses, how we can help especially retailers. Um, and the reality is that as we develop, uh, especially some of the mixed use opportunities that you're seeing in downtown, we see that as opportunities to bring entrepreneurial um, uh, spirit, bring young retailers uh, into the market balance that with some nationals uh, that would help uh, obviously from the perspective of creating uh, some critical mass but from our perspective 
we know that, that, that the entrepreneurial opportunities we're creating by bringing talent into downtown uh, and not only on the residential side but on the, on the job side are, are going to generate some opportunities that, that we think are going to be critical going forward. Now, in terms of your second question, uh, you know, we recognize that you know, as a community, uh, we want to have uh, a diverse neighborhood in downtown Cleveland. So part of that challenge from a social equity perspective is are, are we creating job opportunities across the broad spectrum? Are we creating housing opportunities? And we fully understand the fact that, again, as we've talked, that a lot of the development that's occurred has been on a market rate basis, and maybe those options have not been affordable. So from our perspective, is how do we uh, create a spectrum of opportunities that, uh, again, would allow individu individuals that have job opportunities uh, 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 in downtown Cleveland to live in downtown Cleveland and take advantage of, of all the accessibility, mobility, and amenities that we're creating for the community. So we know that that's a very, very important challenge for us going forward and one that we're committed to embracing. That sounds like you've walked this path. Yeah, and I, great question, by the way, because I think, what, what is it, something, and you probably would know, Michael, like 80% of new jobs are created through small business, right? So, I mean, doesn't it just make sense to put some effort and energy into helping those small businesses grow? So in Milwaukee, we are so fortunate. We have an organization called Wisconsin Women's uh, Initiative. Uh, it's WIBIC. Uh, we also have another organization called Fuel Milwaukee, Startup Milwaukee. But we are really, really focused on creating the entrepreneurial environment in Milwaukee. Uh, and then not only from a business perspective, but just from a social engagement perspective, we have a young professionals group called Newwalkie, uh, and they are just dynamic, and they're making fun of themselves even now because they're, they're starting to approach their 40s. But um, nonetheless, they started our night market uh, on Wisconsin Avenue. And what they did is they really went out of their way to attract very, very small startup businesses that weren't located in downtown Milwaukee to bring them to the night market, to give them exposure and connectivity to the community, and again, to provide that opportunity for some mentoring and some leadership. Um, and then there's another initiative called MKE United, where we're looking at prosperity for all, and there's a mentor program where successful business people are helping to grow small businesses and small entrepreneurs in the community. So um, I think Cleveland is doing that in many ways and I think you've got some great opportunities here uh, and happy to talk more about that or hook you up with some people in Milwaukee who are engaged in that. So I remember a few years ago when everybody said oh this whole millennial thing you know young professors millennials um, you know it's not about it's not about uh, the economy it's about let me go to a cool place, and then I'll get a job when I get to a cool place. So we said, we got to test that. You know? So we went nationally. We had thousands and thousands of respondents from 20 to 40-year-olds nationally about what is it that drives your location decisions on where you want to live and work. And guess what? It wasn't, hey, I want to go to a cool place, and then I'll find a job. It was, number one, was job opportunities. Okay? That was the number one indicator. Number two was... Recre a, a range of recreational and outdoor activities. Three, affordable housing or housing affordability. Now, affordable housing is like a stigma sometimes, but the term affor housing affordability is a very big term, that, which is really, really important. And then fourth was an innovation and entrepreneurial environments for, for small business. Even though these, these kids weren't even in business at this time, they wanted that. They wanted that environment of, of a place where they could start out with other people of their own age and create businesses and create small opportunities, not necessarily start with a large corporate. 
So those were the four indicators we got nationally. And all of those factors have, we've talked about numerous times already today. But I think those are the keys. You know, and I, when I see Cleveland, I see elements of all four of those things being really focused on right now, especially housing affordability. That's one of our biggest metrics that we follow now. Because San Francisco, whether you call it affordable housing or housing affordability, there is none in San Francisco, right? No matter what you call it, right? And so we're tracking what is our increase in housing cost year over year, okay? And how do we rank against all other metros in the country in terms of the increased cost of housing year over year? And those areas of, on the coast have increased in some cases double digits on an annual basis in terms of increased cost of housing, whereas we're seeing ourselves in the one and a half to two and a half percent increase in housing costs year over year. So that's another metric for Cleveland to look at because those regions in this country that are affordable and have jobs are the regions that are going to be globally competitive for the future. And if I could also add a, another example to that to that initial question, if you think about it. Um, Ten years ago, very few of us understood what a food truck was. <laughs> and think of how that has evolved, combining entrepreneurial spirit um, with the, the change in, in terms of the culinary um, uh, activities here in the community. And now we have probably, uh, I know in our program, or Walnut Wednesday, I think we have 60-some um, food trucks that are certified only for Walnut Wednesday. Think about all the other uh, uh, food trucks that serve the region. And to me, that's a great example of how you can nurture something uh, we, we worked with the city of Cleveland to create some uh, enabling legislation. We were at the front end of that, and I think it's paid great dividends. A lot of those trucks have moved into bricks and mortar facilities, and they're doing very, very well. Or they've stayed in that market segment and uh, are doing well as well. As we come to a conclusion here, I'd like to ask our two guests, we've been picking your brains. What do you see in Cleveland that you want to take back? What idea, Michael, you said, wow, those folks in Ohio, they got it going on. I want to take this back to MSP. A uh, couple things. One, the... Uh, the appreciation for historical architecture and the, the, the historical significance of Cleveland and certainly along Euclid, Euclid Avenue but throughout the city, uh, I think we could learn a lot from Cleveland's ongoing desire to retain the architectural culture of its city in the past. As I said, we tore down way too many buildings in Minneapolis-St. Paul and so we lost some of that ability to bring that back, but I think today we're, there's still a lot of opportunities for us to, to do adaptive reuse of, of, of existing up things that we have and to a better end, to a, to a better future for, those, for, that, uh, for that environment. And, and so that's one. I think the other thing I would say, and, and Joe didn't pay me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> In Minneapolis and St. Paul, we, the, the Minneapolis side of our, of our urban core has had a downtown council alliance like, like Joe's for, for 30 years or more, it, and it has been such a difference maker for Minneapolis. St. Paul, uh, because they had a strong mayor form of government and they could kind of drive things through a little bit more in their downtown, they never had one, and they suffered because of that. And just recently, only a couple of years ago, we helped them create their own version of the Downtown Alliance, and it's made such a difference for that community. So I applaud Cleveland for their continued support of the downtown and the Downtown Alliance because without it, this would be a wholly different place. And so uh, we're proud to be here today and have the opportunity to share. Beth? For me, uh, it's really easy, top of mind, just because we're going to be hosting the DNC in 2020. 
Uh, your team here has been extraordinarily helpful in helping us to figure out how we can build a really strong framework uh, to, to host a national convention. So I thank you for your work and your willingness to continue to work with us to build best practices on what uh, Cleveland did. But also, of course, the BRT program is something that we're looking to implement. And again, you've provided us best practices in that. And then tonight, I'm gonna have to suffer through it, but I'm gonna go out and uh, take a look at your nighttime economy um, because our nighttime economy is thriving and you are already so brilliant in the way that you staff and built a strong framework for your nighttime economy. You recognize it's an economic generator. Milwaukee is just starting to understand the economic implications of a truly healthy nighttime economy. And so tonight I'm going to be out looking for best practices <laughs> in your nighttime economy. So maybe I'll see you out there, but thank you okay. so much. We can point some restaurants out here, too. Okay. Thank you all. Dan Muffer. <laughs> Uh, the nighttime economy is also sometimes referred to as our craft beer economy. Um, I am Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive here at the City Club, and today we're listening to our annual State of Downtown Forum presented in partnership with the Downtown Cleveland Alliance and supported by PNC Bank. Featuring Michael Langley, the recently retired President and CEO of the Greater Minneapolis-St. Paul Regional Economic Development Partnership, Joe Marinucci, President and CEO of Downtown Cleveland Alliance, and Elizabeth Warrick, CEO of Milwaukee Downtown Business Improvement District. Rick Jackson has been our moderator. He works at IdeaStream. Again, our forum today is sponsored by PNC and presented in collaboration with the Downtown Cleveland Alliance. Please join me in thanking PNC for their support. Our community partner today is the Cleveland Leadership Center. Our hospitality partner is the Metropolitan at the Nine Hotel. We thank all of you for your partnership and support. Additionally, we welcome guests at tables hosted by Cleveland Neighborhood, Neighborhood Progress, Cuyahoga Community College, K&D Group, and students from the St. Martin de Porras School. Support for student participation in City Club forums comes from KeyBank and the William M. Weiss Foundation with additional support from the donors you'll find listed in our program. Thank you all so much for being with us. And that brings us to the end of our forum. Thank you, Mr. Langley, Mr. Marinucci, Ms. Warrick. Thank you, Rick Jackson, for moderating. Thank you to all of you, City Club members and friends of the City Club and future members of the City Club as well. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.